Do you ever feel that God is silent? Like you're going through something and he is, is just not saying a word. It's crickets. Have you ever cried out to him and you've got no answer? Somebody said yes out loud. Some of you don't even want to admit that, right? Because you're Christians and you're not supposed to feel that way. You're not supposed to like say that out loud. I do. I'll talk about things sometimes with you that God has been silent with me about, still is. What do we do with that? You know, what do we what do we do with that kind of silence from him concerning a situation in our lives? Maybe it's concerning some circumstance that we're dealing with in our lives. What do we do with that <clears throat> when he doesn't seem to respond to us? And it's a very deep need. Like there are things that you are praying for right now. There's sickness. There's someone who's got some struggle in here with disease. There's broken relationships. Right now, some of you are begging God to change that, aren't you? You need it to change. And some of you, maybe it's not you need it to change. You want an answer. Just give me, like throw me the little phrases, right? Throw me a bone, God. You don't have to expose the whole thing. You don't have to tell me everything, although some of us would like that. Tell me it all from beginning to end. I'll do it. You'll even say this. I'll do it. I will follow you. I'll follow you. I will, I will, I will do what you say. Just tell me what to do. And that's what it sounds like. Awkward silence. Some of you said that for years concerning something. Some of you are dealing with something, some of us maybe are, that has never changed. Why does this keep happening? Why do I feel this way? Some of you don't like this season for various reasons, but you don't like it because it's the season where someone that you love, you lost. And you don't know why. There's no explanation why either because they were good people. They were young, too young. This was not supposed to happen. There's nothing written anywhere that says Outside of the things that we tell you, the sovereignty of God, that he's all in control, he knows things you don't, you know, and then the cliches that we can throw around to you that are supposed to make you feel really good, right? They always work, don't they? I can look around the room now and, and, and see people that have lost, and I don't get it either. That's the scary thing. You come to me for an answer sometimes, and I look like a deer in the headlights right at you. Like, you want, just fix this, man. Fix it, Ron. I don't have the answer for you to fix it. And I can't even make you feel better. I know I have faith, I believe, I, I'll talk to you about some things like that today, but I can't change what happened. I can't make promises. Pastors are well known for making promises that we cannot keep and that we cannot say. Oh, and, and so some of you have those kind of questions. Does it feel to you that God is silent. When it seems like he is, I think we often can fall asleep to the work and wonder of God. Some of you can get so discouraged that you miss what he's doing. You cannot hear his voice. Reading his word just seems like it just, it's not doing anything. Do you ever feel like that? Like, I want to just open this and point and, oh, 
I can't, and I know you've had, some of you've had these moments, but it, it doesn't. Like, I just pointed it. That's a good one, though. I <laughs> <laughs> kind of worked as the deer longs for water, so I long for you. Oh, man, there, maybe that's good. That's good, actually, for right now, isn't it? Jeez. Better just stop that, huh? You're going to think that's the way you, but that's the approach to Scripture sometimes. But we can start falling asleep to the work and wonder of God. What it can do is it can cause disbelief and doubt. Does anybody have that in their life today? Disbelief, doubt. It's okay because if you're feeling that, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, stand up, confess something. You won't all come back anymore. We kind of like people showing up, you know, but you need, we need, I need. To, to allow God into those places of disbelief and doubt. And when this happens, if we don't engage with him on this, this is, this is what happens in all of us. We can forget who he is, what he has done. You know, we forget his promises, that he's promised something to us, despite the circumstances surrounding us. And then we can lose hope. So we lit a candle of hope today to, to, to give us hope. The season can do that, to, do that to us naturally because of all the hustle and bustle and the craziness of the season, right? Just even the, just all that's going on can cause us to forget what we're even doing. You got so much happening, so many things to do, stuff to buy, stuff to engage in. Too much is happening and we can forget who he is, what he's done, we can lose hope and he can seem silent in it all. We can fall asleep in it then to his work and wonder. And then one of the things that happens is it's a waiting. We need to wait in it. So Advent even has to do with waiting. But many of us, you can admit this if you want, are impatient. Right? We want it all now. Waiting can be hard. Most of us, if not all of us, are not good at it. So waiting can put us to sleep. You wait too long, you're the guy on the couch out there like, you know, or in here, Ron just spoke too long. I'm out. And I've seen you. You fall asleep. <laughs> oh. Put you to sleep, you know. We can get weary, so we begin to just check out. Or we just go through the motions. We can miss the signs of change. We can, again, get tired and lose hope. All those things compile and compile, and they just can really destroy us. Sometimes when we wait, I've brought it up in prayer, that we, we engage in this space with anxiety, worries, fears, impatience, doubt, discouragement, and the disbelief that we've spoken of. So man, you see how this season and this time or these things can really get us down, discouraged, and, and cause us to be lethargic to what God is doing, especially when he's silent about things that really have impacted us deeply brokenness and loss, the struggle with the same things over and over again. It can really do that to us. I think sometimes, too, just before we get into the story, we're going to go to Luke chapter 1. I want to talk to you a little bit about it, but one of the things that we can do, I, I find that I, I see how this is possible for many of us. Maybe you're here today and you're already dealing with it. One of the things that we, we tend to want to do as well 
it's not that it puts us to sleep. We, like, I don't know if you feel this way, but maybe one of the things is you want to go to sleep during it. I don't want to engage. So what I'll do is I, I won't just like have something to drink just to enjoy a seasonal party or whatever. I got to do this because I cannot engage in the emotions and brokenness that's going on. What I find is, and that can be all sorts of habitual things, can it? Food, drink, drugs, I mean the typical things that we think of. Busyness, right? Lots of different things. To, you know, pie. <laughs> I bought a can of that whipped cream. That can do it just, you know, you know there's a problem when no one's around and you're just shooting it in your mouth. There's no reason either. I just got to get rid of the pain. <laughs> you know? It's true though, isn't it? I know. It's, it's all right to admit. We... Be, we can lose the sense of God in that. We want to get rid of that. We need to get rid of that. And so what we do is we replace what God wants to do with things that we know can, we, can, we can do ourselves and they will work, but they're temporary. When has any of those things lasted for more than just a few hours or something like that? There is nothing unless you just do it over and over and over again. Advent can help us practice the waiting and open us up to places where God's light can shine into those spots, those dark places. Places where we need to wake up to the work and wonder of God. Where do you need him to wake up, wake you up, shed light into your life. So we go to the story, it's Luke chapter one. <clears throat> you can go to verse five, we'll go there in just a moment, but let me give you a little background to it. I wanna pause for a moment during the story and give you some thoughts. We'll come up with a few ideas to practice, to think about. We'll take communion together, sing, and uh, I'll bless you as you go um, today. And then we can go kind of keep practicing this as we enter into the stories of Jesus and his family over this season. Zechariah and Elizabeth, Zechariah is a priest. This, this moment in Luke is the beginning of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that talk about Jesus and his life, birth, you know, the, the surrounding that to his death and resurrection. Um, it's the New Testament, beginning of the New Testament. So Luke is the, the second book about that, these stories of Christ, Matthew, or third, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Um, so uh, this enters into a, a season of something brand new birthing in the people of God. Now listen, God has been silent up till this time for not a few days, not a few years, but for lifetimes. For 400 years, God has not spoken a word. No angels have shown up. No prophets have been doing anything. Nobody's engaging with God. And yet the people are crying out for him the whole time. Despite the cries, despite all that's been happening, God has been silent. 
not for years, but for lifetimes. God has not made a peep. It's been crickets for 400 years. Do you hear that? 400 generations. So the family right now that has been dealing with this brokenness or this hurt, think about grandkid after grandkid still is reflecting on that. For hundreds of years, God has not moved, spoken, healed, helped. He's been silent. But they have been anticipating and waiting for the coming Messiah that was promised by God hundreds of years before. The Old Testament, these parts of scriptures throughout Psalms and Isaiah and many places throughout the Old Testament, this first half of the Bible, all these stories of God's people promised that a Messiah would come. And when they went into captivity, the Jewish people when God said it's going to come through this line and all this, but all this horrible garbage and junk and nastiness and brokenness happened, then for 400 years, nothing, and the people cry out. They are in, in, at this moment in one of the most silent and oppressive times. And yet, as we just saw by pointing a finger in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for water, so my soul these people cried out, it longs for you, O oh God. It's just where some of you are at today. Listen, you haven't lived for 400 years, but, but it has felt like it, hasn't it? It sure has felt like it. They find themselves in an in-between space. And maybe you are. Old comfort zone, possible new answer. Many have fallen asleep to God and his voice, so they gave up. But God will meet his people. He always does. This couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're going to they're gonna be met right where they don't believe. For some of you, God needs to meet you right where you don't believe, right where you doubt, right where you hurt the most. That's why we don't want to, like, this is what I would do. That's why we don't want to cloud it over because we're trying to hide it from God so he can't, I mean, he's God, don't get me wrong, he has creative ways to get in there, but he'll allow us to just deal with it ourselves if we want. He wants to get to that place. So we, I, need to expose that to him, the truth, so that he can shine light there. So that's why it's all right if you come today and you doubt or in disbelief, you have been barren for years, he's been silent to you, it's okay to tell him, God, you have been silent. Why is this going on? I'm broke. I don't get it still. Let him, let him enter right there. I don't know how it's going to look moving forward, but God is not sleeping and slumbering, and he needs to be you know, shaken to wake up. He's there. Maybe this barren place is the very place where he wants to give birth the most barren spot in your life, where is that? Maybe he wants to birth something new there. The story goes like this. It's, it's a little bit longer. We're going to read through it. I'll pause for a moment. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Let me just pause here and tell you this is incredible to understand when you look at the story, do you know that there are probably 18,000 priests? 
18,000. Not, not like just a handful. 18,000. So when all that happens, it's, it's not by chance. I mean, we would look at it that way. But when we see what happens, God sees this one in the sea of many. God sees you. You are not lost in the sea of people and brokenness. God sees you right where you're at. Right now, right today. Right what you're feeling. I believe that. And so he's one of 18,000. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So respectfully, I say that's probably in their 60s. All right, so those of you that are in your 60s, I don't know if you wanted very old attached to that, but just what the Bible says, okay? Hey, deal with it, all right? <laughs> I'm not going to attach it to the 50s. Come on. <laughs> They're old. This is a point of discouragement, of disgrace and shame. At that time especially, Men and women, families with no children, were seen in a different light. And he's a priest. So think about this. Silence, nothing, not only in the people of God, but there's all that silence from God in the individual right there. Wow. God has been silent for 400 years to his people, and you know what? He's been silent to me for 60 They don't have any children. They don't, you know, have some of the things going for them that at that time should have been there according to others. One day, it says, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order out of 18,000 was on duty that week. His, his lot came up. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. By chance is not the stuff we want to attach to that. By God's order, he's in there that day. Something in the barren life is going to be birthed anew. While the incense was burning, a great crowd stood outside praying. And they're probably praying, like many have for 400 years, come soon. We want the Messiah. God, save us, redeem us, revive us. God, come into this barrenness. Heal us. Restore these, these broken places. Man, restore your kingdom. He's entering, they're praying that God would enter into these places for them. And meanwhile, one out of 18,000 by lot has been chosen to go in. Maybe this one time in his entire lifetime that this would ever happen. It's not by chance, it's by order of God that he enters into this place. While they're outside praying, it shows you the need for people praying around this. Are you going through something like this today? Listen, get the community of people around you to pray. Don't do this alone. Many of us, we, we want to remain silent, and it keeps us enclosed, which means you're holing up at night. Of course you want to go drink or eat or whatever you do, buy stuff or whatever that may be, because you're alone in it. You got nothing else to, except to do it for yourself. Rally people around you to pray for you at this time that will not give up. This is hundreds of years these people have been doing this. 
While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. God is birthing something new, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Of course, I would be too. Some dark room lit by candle and some angel appears before you. And I'd be freaking out myself. But the angel said, like God says so often when he approaches his people, and this is for you today, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I love this, don't be afraid, and he uses his name, Zechariah. When God says your name, don't be afraid, Ron. Don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. Maybe for 40 years or so, they've been praying for a child, praying for the restoration of the kingdom, opening up to their shame and disgrace in the community. They did not give up, and they had people rallying around them. Your wife, Elizabeth, now this is going to shock him, will give you a son, and you're going to name him John. You're in your 60s. Any 60-year-olds, can you imagine having a child? And you're looking at each other like, don't even think about that. They were not, this is some miracle. This ain't happening. And he says, you're going to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. This is going to be a great young man that you're going to have in your old age. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. That's an old prophet that did many miraculous things through the power of God, by the power of God. So this proclamation about your son in your 60s that you're going to have, this miracle that's going to happen, not only is it going to happen, but it's going to be amazing and great. And God is birthing something brand new in this barren land and in your barren life. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah said to the angel, like many of us probably would, how can I be sure this will happen? Hear his disbelief and doubt enter in. Now, it's different than Mary that will look like in a few weeks who just said, hey, whatever you want to do, God, do it. That's kind of paraphrasing right there. Zechariah is different because he says, how can I be sure this will happen? This is what he says in his disbelief and doubt. He says, give me a sign. Show me something that's going to, I need a sign. Because you know why? I don't believe you. This whole one out of 18,000, I don't care. The appearance of an angel, whatever, big deal. All right? Give me a sign. I need some other sign. You just got two by, lo- by chance. You know, you're in there, and two, there's an angel standing before you. You want another sign? And I love it because he says, uh, you know, well, I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. That's a good way to say it, right, guys, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. The angel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring this good news. I'll give you a sign, he says. Isn't that a comics little line too, right? I'll give you a sign. But now since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and able to speak until the child is born. Some wives would rejoice in that probably, huh? Nine months. My husband's got to shut up. All right. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Maybe that's something we're not going to key on today, the proper time. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. What in the world is going on in there? When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures... Can you imagine what he was trying to show them through his gestures? Practice that. Maybe 
What a game, huh? You know, I don't know what he's doing all there, but he's trying to tell the people that he saw a big angel. God spoke to him, and my, my, my uh, young wife is going to have a baby. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. What a beautiful thing. God is birthing something new and exciting to these people that are well into their 60s that never thought anything could happen for them. And the prophecy given is that God is birthing something new in a nation of people as well. What would you do if this was you? Are you afraid of what God may do next in your life? If he wanted, well, I know he wanted to, he wants to, but if he comes into these dark places, maybe sometimes just like Zechariah, we need to just be quiet and join God's work. Maybe today God's been working around you and you need to stop and join him. Not try to figure it all out, but join him in where he's already working. I love it because silence for us does not mean abandonment, disgrace, that we're discarded or rejected. There's a little pause in the story, and one day, you know, Elizabeth and Mary, who's going to have Jesus, or relatives, Mary comes to visit uh, Elizabeth, and I think Elizabeth is about six months into the pregnancy, and Mary shows up, and the baby inside of Elizabeth, John, leaps for joy, it says. And then Elizabeth proclaims this beautiful thing, what an amazing thing that I am in the presence of my Lord, because Mary is now pregnant with Jesus. The The story picks back up in verse 57 of Luke 1. Let me read it to you, and then we'll, we'll give you just a few thoughts that we can go home with today. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, nine months later, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. So this became a community event as well, this great thing that has happened, and the beauty along with it. When the baby was eight, eight days old, um, as was custom, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. Now, the man is supposed to name, the father is supposed to name the baby, and typically, it's going to be named after the father, so it would have been named Zechariah. That was kind of the thing to do. And they wanted, the people said, you're going to name him Zechariah. They know this after his father, but Elizabeth, so now even the woman's stepping in, but it's because, uh, you know, Zech can't uh, speak, of course, and uh, Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. John, what? There's nobody by that name. There's no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures <laughs> to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Well, that woman, she doesn't have a right to do that anyways. We're supposed to name him Zechariah. Let's ask the, you know, the, the quiet guy in the corner over there. And so uh, he gets a tablet, and he writes on it and said, his name is John. Remember, that's what he's supposed to name the child. 
Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. The first words out of his mouth were great glory and honor and praise to God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be, which we're going to look at next week? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Nine months, and maybe this is for some of us today in some form, for nine months, a work of humility was being done on Zechariah. Zechariah is in a place where he did not believe, so God, him, God put him in a place where he could help him believe. He could help him hear his voice without everything else being clouded. Zechariah in this is active again. He can see what God is doing. And what that does when this happens for us is it spills over into the community around us. When we hear these testimonies, when we're a part of what God is doing that way, it spills out of us. It impacts all those around us. So what do we do? Let me just give you a few. These are very simple thoughts to carry us through the week. As we think about God being silent and where we need to wake up, what do we do when this happens in us? For these last few moments, think about this with me. Number one, we obey God even when he seems silent. So obedience is a big key there. What they were, think about this with me, what they were in their 60s, older folks, all the things that provided disgrace and shame to them that did not dictate who they are and what they would do in serving. Some of us are allowing the disgrace and shame of what the world says or where you're at right now with loss and brokenness. Some of us are allowing that in our relationships. I relate to this. We allow these things, these points of anxiety, worry, and all this stuff to dictate then how we act. It causes us to be worse that way. And instead, maybe it should allow us to be free to express to God his praises and honor, even in the midst of our ununderstanding, our lack of getting it, and God's silence. They did not let that dictate them serving. Maybe it's during our barrenness when we obey him, even when he seems silent, that God births something new in us. There are some of you right now through loss or struggle or hurt or all these things that we've brought up. God, if we allow him and if we obey in it and we just stick with him, and it's tough because it can just be for so long, we continue to serve but he begins, maybe even you're discovering it, something new. We're discovering more about who we are, where to go, what to do, all, all these things. And he's birthing something new even out of that barrenness. It even becomes the very thing that he uses to birth something new as he sheds light on those parts of our lives. And so silence for them could not stop them from serving a lot of times we become so broken, so hurt, so much anxiety, so much worry, so much depression, so much discouragement, so much doubt, that we just eliminate participating in anything that God is doing. For some of us, 
I don't want to encourage you to do more. Just do stuff, and you'll be fine. I, I don't mean it that way. But don't allow it to stop you from just participating in what God is doing. Some of that is because he wants to do something in you. We already talked about it, in your soul. So don't cover up that by doing more, but don't eliminate serving at all either. So there is a balance in there. Remain faithful, keep praying, keep on believing. Isn't that a journey song too? All right, I thought, yeah, okay, never mind. <laughs> Romans 4, 19, uh, 18 and 19. This, this story is reminiscent of Abraham and Sarah, if you know that. Old people in their old age, on a promise by God, had a child that would be in the line of Jesus. And just this first line, even when there was no hope, no reason for hope, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Hope keeps hoping. So you look at your life and go, there's flat out no reason for me right now to hope anymore. I've had it. I've had it with God. I've had it with the stuff. I've had it with Christians. I'm sick of people getting up here on stage and telling me I'm supposed to do all this, feel this way or whatever. But Abraham says, I don't care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep hoping. And you know what? There's flat out no reason to hope. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep believing that God would come through because he gave me a promise. Even though there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept what? Hoping. The message says, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. I like that. Though we may have lost sight, God is not. He is not asleep, slumbering. Psalm 121 speaks of that. Obey God even when he seems silent. Two, remember what God has promised and stay there. Stick to it. Contemplate him and his ways repeatedly. It's one of the reasons, we've said this before, why we do communion every week. You will do communion today because we need to be reminded constantly that Jesus died for our sins, that he loves us, that he gave his life for us, that we don't have to live in sin that he took care of sin on our behalf, that he loves us, that he loves you, that he loves you. You have to go back to that repeatedly. Go over that story again and again. His promises propel me through the waiting and the wondering. They help me with patience and staying active. So you need to go back to his promises. You promised this. What do you think they did for 400 years in silence? You promised this, God, we're praying for it. You promised, you promised, you promised. Silence, but you promised. Silence, but you promised. Go back to these things over and over again. Stay there. Go back to those lines over and over again. Read them. His promises also help me not panic. Last week, I got up here and gave some announcements before I left. Some of you noticed I had hiccups. Some of you made fun of me after the service before I left. You're messed up, okay? Some of you sent me texts and things, but you, you cared. Thank you. I've been dealing with this. It's probably a mixture of acid reflux, of I, I discovered some other things, of stress and anxiety. All the things combined 
They've lasted since August. I've had multiple bouts of these things that have lasted for the least amount of time, a few days, the most a week and a half. It's horrible. You could feel bad for just a second because many of you have many worse things. I just Googled 50,000 things, sometimes at like 3 in the morning when I couldn't sleep. Why is this happening? You come onto forums, and the forums give no answer, but it's everybody complaining about the same kind of stuff. So at least we all felt horrible together, right? That was nice. <laughs> and I discovered one of the reasons is this, this acid comes into my larynx, and it's suddenly this one thing that was happening. Not, I don't know the root problem still. Um, we're going through all that, but... I know one of these things, this acid comes up into the larynx, and it's, I can't even say it properly, this medical term, and it feels like all of a sudden that it's closing because it is. It closes, closes, closes. I sound like a seal trying to suck in air. <clears throat> yeah, and if you saw me, you'd think I was choking to death because it feels like I am, which causes many people that have this happen to panic, which I do, <laughs> Okay because I can't breathe. I'd be a horrible, and I love MMA, I'd be a horrible MMA fighter because the moment you just took your arm and went like this, and I think you're gonna choke me, I'd tap three times and it's done, you win. <laughs> it's horrible. Feel like I'm choking. It's happened multiple times this week. So, it says one of the things to do is you just relax, you can't, come on people, seriously, and act like you're breathing through a straw. It'll go away in about 20 to 30 seconds which is the stupidest thing I want to tell you because I can't relax and I can't act like I'm breathing through a straw even though I tried. But here's what it did. I don't know the root cause, you know, but it caused me this little bit of understanding. I got a long ways to go in a lot of areas of life, but so far, even this, this one area, this little bit of understanding, this little bit of understanding and these doctors <laughs> promising that I would not die from this caused me to not panic. Because here's what's happening for some of us. Some of us, we're in this mode right now, and you're panicking. And it's caused you to forget the promises of God. When I know the promises of God and remember them, it helps me not panic. And it propels me through the waiting and the worry and it causes me to open up to him to enter into those places. Have you lost sight of his promises? You know, new birth often begins with a promise. I love Hebrews 12, 3 in the message. It says, when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story, the story of Jesus again and again. The long litany of hostility he plowed through that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. So we'll do that in communion in just a moment. The other thing I want to tell you is this, to wait in community. So one of the, the little parts of the story that I just skimmed over, we did not read, was Mary and Elizabeth coming together. I don't know what it's like when two women who are pregnant come together and talk about their husbands and the pregnancy and all this stuff and encourage one another, but I would assume that would happen once in a while. Maybe the dudes get together and talk about their wives going through the pregnancy or whatever and try to encourage one another. But one of the parts of the story is that Mary and Elizabeth did this together. It says the baby leaped for joy. Elizabeth proclaims this to Mary and all these beautiful things. And they were together through this. Please don't be alone through whatever 
brokenness and barrenness you're going through. So if it's Zechariah who's got a community of people rallying around him praying to two women getting together, going through what they're going through, one super young and one super old, both miraculous, can you imagine Elizabeth just saying, I don't, you got pregnant, but you guys, you didn't have sex with your husband. I did, what? But can you imagine the encouragement there? Their own disgrace and shame that they helped each other through and the panic that maybe was upon them. We need that. We wait. We work through this in community. We do it together. And then the last thing is this. We acknowledge where you need, acknowledge where you need to wake up to the work and wonder of God. Ask him to enter there. Allow him to breathe life and light into you. Hear him say, fear not with your name attached to it. The worship team can come. Where do you need him to enter in? Where do you desire him to come into your life? Acknowledge that right now. Maybe you even say his words to you, fear not, and put your name there. Fear not, Ron. Sometimes, you know, by myself, I'm saying that, just, man, this has happened, or that's going on, or whatever. Fear not, Ron. Try to hear God's voice in the darkness. Isaiah 61 and 2, Scott and Debbie read it earlier as they lit the candle of hope. It said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14 reflect upon that in the New Testament when it says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Allow him to expose those things so it becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. That's why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Where does God need to shine light into your life? Let's pause there for a moment, would you? Close your eyes and just take a moment to reflect as they begin to play. We're going to take communion together. Where do you need to wake up? This morning as we end, uh, communion is in the front and the back. So our scripture told us early to go over that story again and again, the story of Jesus. Think about what he endured, what he was propelled through, that he did not panic. And that he went to the cross for each one of you. Today, we remember that and say thank you to him for what he's done for us. So as they continue to play, then they'll go into a song, and I'll come back and bless you as you go. But would you just take a moment um, now and then get communion, take it yourself or with somebody, and would you um, just reflect on Jesus, what he's done for you, and then ask yourself, where does God need to shine light into your life? Where does he want you to wake up? And what does he want you to wake up to?
and do that in us, Lord. We thank you now, Jesus, for what you've done for us. In your name we pray, amen.